0: Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at huronchapel.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast. So... Just a, a few
1: comments to start. Uh, last Sunday happened to be at the back of the sanctuary when they were asking who's going to be here at the 9 o'clock service that could volunteer to do the uh, uh, scripture verse. And I couldn't help but notice no hands went up. <laughs> so, so I was a little bit concerned when I came in this morning. But it's great to see uh, so, many people, uh, so many people here. And uh, uh, I also want to acknowledge the people who have gone before me. Uh, I don't have a piece of awesome art. I'm not memorizing an entire book of the Bible, <laughs> and I'm not even memorizing uh, an entire chapter. Um, the uh, one of the, uh, the most profound uh, verses in uh, uh, for me is one I memorized when I was a teenager. And when I uh, joined the United Church, our pastor gave us a book of uh, booklet of scriptures. And they're perforated, so you could actually tear them out and hang them on your mirror, uh, put them somewhere in your house. And uh, his premise was that if you memorize these, sometime in life, when you're really calling out to God, that's going to come to you. And my my kids think that like Noah is my grandfather, um, and and so pardon the uh, uh, pardon the very old uh, uh, old uh, uh, format, uh, but. Uh, uh, the scripture that uh, one of the scriptures I learned from that booklet was uh, Joshua 1:9, uh, which is is very uh, very well known. My version may not be quite as familiar, but uh, "Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest." So I, I memorized that just because it, it seemed like something kind of cool to memorize. Uh, I was 15 when I, I did that. When I was 23, uh, if you're from Blythe, you may know where Seep Bosma's chicken barns are, just outside of Blythe as you're leaving town. When I was 23, the very first building I went into on fire as a firefighter was Seep Bosma's barn. I got in there. My partner, who was experienced and I was, like, very rookie, uh, had to leave the building because his air pack uh, failed, and I wound up tangled up in his chicken feeders that were hanging in his barn. And what do you think came to mind? And I thought to myself when I got out of that, wow, because it wasn't like I planned it, wasn't like I practiced it, but here I was, I was in real trouble. And what do you think came to mind? So then later as you become a chief, you're always worried about your, your people. Uh, that's, that's part of the job. And so what I would do is I was driving to the calls. so I'd usually be on my own, I'd say a little prayer, but I wouldn't say that because it was a mouthful. I'd just say Joshua 1-9, Lord. Joshua uh, 1-9. And I thought it was interesting for this morning because, of course, if you look at the background of that story, this is when Joshua has been charged to take the people to the promised land. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He doesn't know how it's going to go, but he has faith that God is going to be present for his people, and God tells him to be confident in him. And I thought afterwards as I as thinking about this morning, well, here we are. We know where we're going. We're confident in God, but we don't know exactly what that means. But we have faith in God, and I just thought that was, that was kind of neat too. Um, so one of my, my last comment on this is, is that uh, I made this uh, at one of the uh, uh, family events in Sunday school, and I uh, wanted to talk to the kids. For all those of you who work with uh, children and youth, you never know how a sowing scripture on those young people's hearts will play out. Because I can guarantee you when I was 15 years old and I memorized this, I never envisioned myself recalling it in urgency trapped in a chicken barn that was burning with my air pack wrapped around a chicken feeder. And you never know. You never know where those scriptures uh, that you sow on young people's hearts, you have no idea where those will come up in life or how that will influence them. But it is amazingly powerful And I'm amazingly and gratefully thankful uh, to Reverend Bauman for that book, uh, even though it's uh, a mouthful. And finally, for those of you who want to know what it really says uh, in today's language, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not uh, be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.
2: That's why we're doing this, to remember, have Scripture ready at the ready when we need to share it. I um, grew up in a small church in Old Sound, and um, the time between 9 a.m. or 10, no, 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock noon on Sundays was called the worship service. And when someone came up to the pulpit during the worship service and said, let's worship together, it usually meant we're going to sing some hymns. Uh, my favorite was number 33. It was holy, holy, holy. In the evening, we'd gather again for worship service, only it was a little more relaxed. In the evening service, we'd still sing some hymns, but they would hand out these pieces of paper stapled together with the words typed on them. They called them chorus books. And in the chorus books in the evening service, things got a little more crazy, a little more out of hand. We would sing songs like, He is my everything, and I will serve thee. And I've got peace like a river, if we really felt nuts. <laughs> and as I grew up from boyhood, I discovered something called teen camp. And at teen camp, I'd go to these camps, and they would have things called guitars. <laughs> and um, they would have something called campfires. And we would sit around together in these campfires, and we would really things would really go off the rails because we would be singing songs like Pass it on. Remember that one? How many? How many? Come on, how many of you are my age? You remember that one? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And then when I went to pastor my very first church in Blue Mountain, a small rural church, where I fell in love with rural community and rural people, and the church was growing, but we were considered a rebel church in the area because we would sing choruses like, "And the trees of the field will clap their hands." Uh, and we would spring up a well within my soul. We'd actually jump and spring up a well. And we use something, this, this, don't get too excited, but we'd use something called an overhead projector <laughs> to put the words up in the wall. We were considered the rebel church in the area. And there were some teenagers in that church who formed a Christian rock band. And they knew i played play guitar. And said, Pastor Mark, will you help us form this band? And would you even play with us? And so I did, as an old man, play with some young teenage kids in this Christian rock band. And we rocked it out. We played songs like Jesus Freak, which is a favorite. We wrote our own songs. We played in high schools. We played in oh, arenas. We played in churches for youth events. And we did all this. I remember one Sunday evening playing at a Presbyterian church in Thornbury, And another speaker got up. To play a song and sing a song I'd never heard of before, but I've sang it many times since. And he explained the the meaning behind this song and what it meant. The the church where he was leading uh, the, their songwriter, the, the worship was starting to get distorted and became more performance oriented and entertainment oriented, and, uh, oriented, and he felt it was getting away. So for I think a year they got a, rid of you know all the fancy stuff, and he wrote this song and you'll know the song. He said. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. He's talking to God. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the ways things appear. You're looking into my heart. And he says to God, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And we know that worship is more than just singing songs to Jesus, but how much more? We know that worship is not is more than just you know my music, but how much more? We know that worship is more than just the hour we spend with our church family on a Sunday morning, but how much more? And we find the answer in Romans 12, where the Bible tells us this. This is how much more, brothers and sisters, in your sermon notes and on the screen, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. So we're to give our whole lives as a living sacrifice. And holy sacrifice, that is what is required from us. And then the rest of the verse says, The kind He will find, God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. How much more than songs in a church service, our whole lives, he says, are to be offered to God and worship. Not just my songs, not just my coming to church, but when I speak, what I say at home, what I say at work, not just when I behave well in church, but on Sunday morning, but what I'm doing when I'm alone at home, when no one's looking, this is when I worship God. If you were to ask God how He wants you to worship Him and you're getting ready to uh, sing him a song or getting ready to attend church, he, I, th- I believe his first to say, "Listen, first give me your whole life. This is truly the way to worship me. everything, all things, and everything. I'm sure God loves the songs. I, 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 just, I just felt His presence here this morning singing to Him because it's all about Him. I know He loves that. It's a blessing to Him. It blesses us. But He longs and requires even more than that. In the Old Testament days, it wasn't the music that became the problem worship. It was the offerings and the sacrifices they were making to God. People would uh, bring their offerings to God and, and appearing to be very devout very holy, very worshipful, but then leaving that place and living a life that was anything but devout and holy and pleasing to God. They disobeyed Him. And so later in 1 Samuel, it says this, God, it says this about, you know, what when we do this, it says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Let me read that again. What is more pleasing to the Lord? How would you answer that question? Your burnt offerings, your songs, your attendance, what well, are all good or your obedience to his voice. Listen, it says, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of the rams, how they would bring their best uh, to the Lord then. One definition, wor- definition for worship I came across I, as I prepared this message was this. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. I love that because it's not just I love and I submit. Extravagant love and extreme submission. That's how we respond to God, not just for a little bit of a time or just with a song, but with all of our lives. The worship doesn't just touch our life; it, it saturates our life. It is more than Sunday. It's more than a song. It's more than my offering. It's presenting a whole life to God saying, my whole life is an act of worship to you, God. Do you believe that? And when we're in sermon in small group series right now called Response, and today we're talking about response and worship, we've we looked already in, uh, from First Samuel how we respond in following God. We spoke how we respond to God and knowing He cares for us and values us, that even if we think we're nobodies, that's probably a good uh, premise for God to use you because He tends to use people like that. And then we spoke about how last time we responded in anguish. And if you haven't figured it out, today we're talking about how we respect, so respond in an act. Of worship, so far, so far in First Samuel, we've been introduced to four key players. There's there's Hannah, who really uh, takes center stage at the very first chapter. Hannah is a a godly woman, loves God, but remember she's unable to have children, and that was that's not only that was a a very uh, tough burden for her because back in that day, especially because that was carrying on the lineage of your family, and maybe the Savior was they knew was coming out of uh, someone who's born and. Uh, of, of an Israel-Jewish woman, and, and she was not able to participate in that, and so it bothered her. And she had a husband named Elkanah, who loved Hannah, again, a godly man who worshipped God. And Elkanah, uh loved his wife, but as the culture permitted in those days, God did not promote this, but permitted you to take a second wife, and so he, Elkanah took another wife named Paniah, and Paniah was able to have children and bear children, many children, Uh, And Hannah was not. And what made it really bad was Paniah would taunt and mock Hannah for not having children. Look how God is blessing me. Look how I'm providing for our family, and you're not. So Hannah had this great weight. And we were introduced last time to Eli, just a little bit. Eli is the priest of the temple in Shiloh where Hannah and her family came to worship. And so now we're going to uh, kind of give some... um, Background to where we are, and uh, um, I just wanted to say that first of all, worship is mentioned three times in the chapter one. Uh, in verse three, it says each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship. So he and his family would travel to worship. Um, it was a habit for them, something they were they do. Everybody would come. That's for festivals. Verse nineteen says this: the entire family got up. I love that. The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord. It was a family affair. The entire family went to worship God. Worship can be done quietly by ourselves. That's true, right? And it would be a very powerful time. But certainly there's this wonder and enjoyment when we come together as a family or as a church family to worship God together. Don Whitney, in his classic book, Spiritual Disciplines, writes this in your sermon notes. There's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together. I love that term. In the meeting together with other believers. And of course, the Bible encourages us to meet together as well. It says in Hebrews, let us think of ways to motivate one another. How? To acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now we see the day of His return is drawing near. And we see that, earthquakes, rumors of wars and wars. We know that His time is near, and so we want to encourage one another, please come and hear the Word of God. Let's worship Him together. Let's come together and encourage one another, especially in these days. But the third mention of worship in the first chapter is where I want to take note of today. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you haven't already. We're going to read a little background leading up to the text today. 1 Samuel chapter 1, it won't be on the screen, it won't be in your notes, so if you can have a chance to find that, that would be great. And we're going to start at verse 19, where we read about one of the mentions of worship in chapter 1 said the entire, this is verse 19, the entire family got up early the next morning, went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. Because she was, remember, crying out to God, please give me a child. If you give me a child, I will give him back to you. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. In fact, Samuel means, in Hebrew, it kind of means I asked for, I asked for. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then I'll take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. That's usually around three years old. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice, and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. That's the priest. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago, praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord against, that's Samuel, that means, that's what she's saying. I Samueled to give me this boy, and he Samueled my request. That's how we would read it in the Hebrew. And then we came to verse 28 where we find this mention of worship. Hannah says to this, this to priest Eli, and this is our text today. Hannah now says, now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now the NLT says they will worship, but really the better Hebrew translation, is probably even a note in your NLT saying he worshiped the Lord there. So in response to God answering her prayer, Hannah is prepared to give her son Samuel back to God, for God to use him for his entire life. We read Hannah saying, I'm giving him to the Lord. He will belong to the Lord his whole life. And wouldn't you agree with me that Hannah is giving more than a song? Would you agree that she is not just going through the motions of worship, but this is a sacrifice that's costly and valuable and giving to God? I want you to listen to this, this video because it's important. Can we do that, Caleb?
0: worship we, we we use that word a lot, usually when referring to singing, which is a form of worship. Because the word worship means to really bow before someone. And so when we sing, we're coming in His presence and, and lifting Him up. So that is a form of worship. But worship goes way beyond that. It goes to, what do I bow to? For some of us, we really do worship ourselves. Because we just surrender to our feelings, our desires, our pleasures. And we go, whatever my body wants, I'm going to go after that. Others, we worship things like popularity, and and we just bow down to people and what they want. Um, Some of us, we just want to fit into the culture, or we worship the country, or whatever else. But what God says is, look, I want to be your first allegiance. So worship means you surrender to me. You say, my ways are best, and you gladly come under that type of leadership. And at the core of worship, that's what it's all about.
2: So in that um, video, it's Francis Chan describing, defining worship for us. And as, you know, he defines it as to bow down before someone. And he said, worship asks asks this question, well, what, what do I bow down to? I love how um, some translations of Holman's Christian Standard Bible and Young's Literal Translation translates verse 28. It says this, Then he bowed and worshipped the Lord. there." And what amazes me about this passage is who he is referring to. Who the Bible is talking about when it says he worshipped the Lord there. Because there's only two he's present. There's Hannah, but there's Eli the priest and Samuel the boy and it's not talking about Eli Haniel is referring to Samuel the whole time I'm giving him to the Lord he will belong to the Lord his whole life and he worshiped the Lord there and I find it so amazing that a boy, that a child knows how to worship God where did he learn that? where did that come from? he learned it from the only person that, he, that was around him the whole time mom and dad He saw how Elkanah and Hannah worshipped the Lord. It was not an unknown, obscure, crazy thing in his home. It was natural for Samuel to see and be part of the worship experience, to to come to God, to worship Him, to thank Him, to praise Him, to rejoice in Him. Even as a young child, Samuel, this was not a big leap for him to make. He knew who to bow down to. His parents lived that out before him. Dr. Parkhurst once said, There's no child explicable apart from his parentage, parentage. And what he's saying is, there's no real way to fully understand a child until you know who his parents are. And he goes on to say, the child is the parent continued down to the new generation. The child is a parent continued down to the next generation. We say it this way today, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And it's certainly true that we pass on to our children, for better or for worse, our values our priorities, our ethics, and certainly how we view, obey, and worship God. And today you and I as parents leave marks on our children that will carry on down through the generations. It will be evident for years to come how we live and present God to our kids. Uh, Last time Glenn and I were in Cape Cod, we went for a walk along a trail and we came across this rock here. Can you see that? There's some markings on it. I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting. It's called the grinding rock. And for thousands of years before the Europeans landed in North America, the Nosset Indians, who lived beside the marshes of Cape Cod, um, left these marks. Um, They would use use this rock to grind and polish and sharpen their implements and use bone to to sharpen uh, fishing hooks. Um, They used this grinding rock. This rock worked. And the marks, I, I find amazing, are still visible today. I think, you know, years, hundreds of years ago, th- over a thousand years ago, uh, a, a, a Nasset Indian native person would st- be standing there sharpening something so he could hunt, so he could fish, so he could provide for his family. Um, this is the grinding rock. And in the same way that the marks are visible for us to see today, if you were to go to that place, I feel that the marks that we leave on our children will be evident. They may be marks that of faith that worship God, or they may not be. In um, my prayer this week, I came across this prayer that I've been praying, and, and, it, and it says, Father, thank you for reminding me today that the legacy I leave behind is my choice. I, that hit me. Thank you for the legacy I leave behind. Oh, it's, it's my choice. It's what I do today. And when your children are ready to go out in the world on their own, will they know, like Samuel, how to worship God? Do they know it's more than just a song? Do they know it's more than just a service? Do your friends, do your grandkids, do your nieces and nephews, do those people who you have influence on can look at you and say, yeah, it's more, it's more than that? Because really, when you think about it, all of us are worshipers of something. The question is, who do we worship? Or what do we worship? Who are we bowing to? One day this last week, I was thinking about an old friend that I grew up with in a known sound. Um, hadn't thought about him in years, and for some reason just came to my mind. Uh, we went to the same school together. We were this very same age. He just lived uh, not too far away from me. So I wondered what he was doing, so I did what you do. You, you Google him. You Google his name. And you can imagine my shock when it came back with his obituary. I'm looking at a picture of someone who was here that I knew and who is now gone. And his name was Jeff. And he died last year. I began to read his obituary, because an obituary summarizes your life in a couple of paragraphs. It's it's an account of a person's life from the perspective of those who knew him best. You live your life, and when you're gone, others will reflect on your life and, and summarize it down into a couple of paragraphs about what you loved and what you valued. And they'll point out what mattered to you, what was important to you. And from what I was said about Jeff, he loved to fish. Um, even the, the um, uh, words of sympathy and the condolences from other people left mentioned his love for fishing in the outdoors and included a picture of him on his, his obituary of him with a big smile holding a fish. And I'm glad Jeff found joy in fishing because I, I think fishing great. It's relaxing, it's exciting when you have a fish on the end of your line. However, as much as fishing can be a great pastime, I don't want to worship it. You can put anything in that blank. As long as so-and-so's thing is a great pastime, it could be a sport, it could be a hobby, it could be my, my career, I don't want to worship it. However, as much as fishing can be a great pastime or my career, as Francis Chance says, I don't want to bow down to it. I'm surmising that my friend Jeff, he sounds like he spent a lot of his time and, and resources on his love for fishing and based on how others summarize his life, he worshipped it. And it comes uh, for others to write your obituary when they look at your life and see what mattered to you and what you valued and how, what will, how will they summarize your life in a pu- couple of paragraphs. We're all worshippers. They're going to mention something that you worshipped. The question is, what will it be? What mattered to you? What had value to you? What or who is worth teaching your children to bow to? Or your nieces, or your nephews, or your grandkids, or your friends, or your students, or whatever that influence you have? It's an important question because I believe this quote by John Maxwell what we worship is what we become. If we worship material possessions, we tend to become very materialistic. In the Bible, Solomon calls that a serious problem because the toil and fret, he says, over something that has no eternal meaning, because it doesn't have any eternal meaning, it leads to destruction, is a sin. If we worship self, guess what we become? Selfish. When we worship God, we tend to become godly. That's the plan. And we we come to discover his purpose, his meaning, his salvation, his power, his direction in our life. And it does have eternal meaning to us. The Apostle Paul identifies this state of worshiping God as having contentment, knowing that God's in control. Knowing no matter what happens in my life is it's okay. Because he says, I'm not saying that I that this because I'm in need, because he has been. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever's going on in my life, I've learned this because I worship God. What did he say in Philippians Oh man, 4.11? I can do all things through Christ. I worship the God, not people. I don't worship things. I worship God. And here's a little exercise I want to leave with you today. Based on the Bible reading Mark gave us from Philippians that can help direct our thoughts and our focus on the things of God. And as we do that, we're worshiping Him. And we're focusing on Him and not those things around us. There are, these are ways we can worship God and help us. So, first of all, in your notes, rejoice in the Lord always, it says in Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord, not circumstances. If you rejoice in circumstances, some days you're going to be up, and some days you're going to be down, and then you're going to be in between, you're going to be up, and then down, 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 down. If we really examine things, we can always find reason to rejoice in the Lord. We can do this in song and testimony and praise to Him. Second thing you can do based on Philippians, instead of being anxious, pray. That's in verse 5. Wouldn't it be great at the onset of anxiety? The first thing we did was we prayed, we didn't let it run up, have control and dominion, but we stopped and said, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's happening. I just want to pray to you who's all-knowing, all-in-control, who has all-strength, to practice the peace of God, to guard our hearts, to worship Him, to thank Him, even in this circumstance. It's one that caused me to be anxious. And then finally, adjust our thought life, Philippians 4.8. That's tough. Directing our focus on the things that are true, right, lovely, and honorable would draw our minds to what is praiseworthy. We just came through um, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love getting together with my family, visiting, going for walks together, eating turkey and, and stuffing. One of the things I appreciate about Thanksgiving is that it causes us to focus on what is good. And it causes us to recognize that these blessings come from God. God. We know that and we get that. And Philippians four 8, it says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. God, these are the things. They are worthy of praise in my life. I know they come for you. I'm thanking you. I'm praising you for them. Because when life gets difficult, one of the first things we let go of is Thanksgiving. And here's the thing about Thanksgiving, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to worship God without it. How can we worship God and not praise Him and give thanks to Him? I guess we just sing a song, or we're just sitting in church, if that's all it is, then you could do that. But if it's more than that, it's very difficult to praise and worship God. I told you this story before I want to close with, but it impacted me as a young man. I was in school in Winnipeg, and one of my fellow students' name was Wentzel. And we became uh, friends. And Winslow um, got word while we we're in Winnipeg. He was from Prince Edward Island. That his, his brother, Junior, had died suddenly. And it was—it was—they ter- were close family, so he was very upset. They went home for the funeral. And when he came back, he sat Winslow and said, "Tell me what? How was it? How are you doing?" I said, "Mark, the craziest thing happened during the funeral. I'm standing there, and you know, I'm just—I <laughs> just not wanting to give thanks. I'm just so upset that God would allow this to happen to my brother, leaving his family." Leaving us, you know, with this void. And God said, Wenzel, he said, I never heard God say to me, I want you to praise me. What? In a funeral? My brother's funeral? Me to, yes, I want you to give thanksgiving to me. And he said, that was one of the hardest things anyone's ever asked me to do. And he said, I just, but I knew it was God's voice. I knew God was leading me. So I started praising him and giving thanks to him and worshiping him. And suddenly it just changed everything in me. I gave thanks for my brother. I gave thanks for his call in my life. I gave thanks for my family. I gave thanks for the years I have with him. I gave thanks that I know he's with him, with the Lord now. And suddenly everything within me changed. Who do you bow to? What do you worship? What are you teaching your kids about it? Let me just close in prayer as I've been praying. Uh, this week with you. Lord, I thank you that I have a chance to leave a legacy upon my children, hopefully someday grandchildren, neighbors and friends. Thank you for reminding me today it's my choice how I respond to you in worship. I thank you for Hannah who had the greatest time of anguish, who was very torn apart and yet she believed in you, she followed you and you gave her Samuel and she gave you more than a song, gave you more than just sitting in a temple. She gave you her son for his whole life, and that impacted and changed the course of history. Lord, let us find us in the same heart, ready to offer you and to give to you and and give thanks to you, God, ready to allow you to use us.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit huronchapel.com for more information about our church.